for granted that God allows me and you see every time we speak every time you speak and you share Jesus it is because God trusts you to share Jesus see he's looking for you to make him known so I don't take it for granted to do this and I do it with fear and trembling the Bible says let him who teach you know take an account because you'll be judged more severely I'm like more so like I really had to think about that even before I started teaching children so with that I humbly submit myself to the Lord. So, Father, in the name of the Lord Jesus, I ask, God, that you would be my help, that you would be my voice, God, that you would speak in and through me, Father, in the name of the Lord Jesus. I ask that you would open our hearts, mine included, to hear what the Spirit of God is saying, and, Lord, that Jesus would be glorified in everything that is said. In your blessed name we pray, Jesus. Amen. So today I'm going to I try to fudge. Isaiah came up here. And he told me, take your earrings off, it's clattering. So I switched up earrings that I thought wouldn't clatter, but I hear it. So I just took them off, Isaiah. Um, so today I'm going to share with you the message, uh, the title of my message today is The Love of God and What It Produces in Our Lives. I want to share with you just some of the facets. It is impossible for us to share everything about the love of God because he is everything that we need. And our needs are different day by day. His mercies are new every day. Okay, so there are three primary scriptures that you'll hear me referring to, the first of which is John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but will have everlasting life. I'm not sure if I need sound up here or not, guys. I'm hearing a knocking. Do you all hear that? Yeah, we got to figure that out. I can go with the handheld if you'd like me to. Romans 5, 8, but God demonstrates his own love towards us in that while we were still sinners, Christ Jesus died for us. And 2 Corinthians 5, 14 in the NLT, either way, Christ, his love controls us. Since we believe that Christ died for all, we also believe that we have all died to this old life, to our old lives. So the number one premise that I need to establish in this meeting today is that God cannot lie. And I'm making this statement based on just me thinking that we all believe that the Bible is the inspired written word of God and that everything that it says, it's 100% true. So this is where this whole message lies on that one fact is that the word of God is true. Okay, so based on that, um, I'm going to say to you that... Uh, that let me just read the word. Numbers 23, 19. God is not a man. So here's where I get that. God is not a man, so he does not lie. He is not human, so he does not change his mind. Has he ever spoken and failed to act? Has he ever promised and not carried it through? So to lie to someone, or if we, if we lie, it is to make an untrue statement with the intent to deceive, to create a false or misleading representation or an impression of what the truth is. 
And then I'm, on the heels of that, I'm going to talk about the word exaggerate, to exaggerate something. To exaggerate is to make something seem larger, more important, or better, or worse than it really is. Like my kid, I remember when he cut his hand, like his finger fell off, but his finger was still there and it was just a little paper cut. Okay, that's an exaggeration. With me? Okay. So it's fair to say that exaggerations are lies, period. Okay? Exaggerations are lies. So just go with us. So God gave it all for us. That's the next truth that I want to point out. So it's impossible for God to lie. And the next thing is God has given it all for us. We must believe that God has created us with purpose. People are having identity crisis because they do not realize that they have been created with a purpose. They, they identify everyone, even children right now. They're trying to, to get them to look at what they identify with. We if we believe in the Bible, and I'm speaking to a Christian audience this morning or an audience who's wanting to grow closer to the Lord, we must identify to what, uh, you know, to what God says to us, and we get that from his holy scriptures, okay? So we must believe that God has created us with a purpose. Genesis 1, verses 26 through 28, and I'm going to read to you a lot of scriptures because it's not my words that I want you to remember. It's what his word says. So God said, let us, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, make mankind in our image after our likeness and let them have complete authority over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, and the tame beast and over all of the earth and over everything that creeps upon this earth. So God created man in his own image and in the image and likeness of God, he created him male and female. He created them and God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth and subdue it using all of its vast resources in the service of God and man and have dominion over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air and over every living creature that moves upon the earth. Isaiah 43 verses 6 through 7 in the ESV. I will say to the north, give up and to the south, do not withhold. Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the ends of the earth. Everyone who is called by my name, whom I created, or whom, everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. God created us a, a few things in these two scriptures that I've just read. See, we've got to dig the the heart of things. It's concealed by the Lord, but the Bible teaches us that the hearts of kings search out Need the handheld? Okay, good. I'm here. At Thank you, Cameron. Okay. Now I won't be distracted. Am I on? Yes. And I won't be distracted by that noise. So God created us a few things in these, in both of these scriptures. God created us to bear, to, to bear and to reflect his image, to rule over creation, to reproduce godly offspring. He created us for his glory to bear and to honor and to carry his reputation in this world. Okay. God has created each and every one of us with a purpose. And if we don't know what that purpose is, we are going to struggle and we will live less than what he has called us to live. We must also know that God does not need to be improved upon. There is nothing in us that's going to make him better. He is all things that is perfect. All right, Exodus 3, 14, and God said to Moses, I am who I am and what I am, and I will be what I will be. And God said, you shall say this to the Israelites, I am has sent you or has sent me to you. 
God is, what he's saying with the word I am, it becomes everything that is self-sufficient. God is self-sufficient. There is nothing and no one that he relies on. Every one of his names reflects his self-sufficiency. God doesn't need healing. He is the healer. He doesn't need protection. He is the protector. He doesn't need provision. He is the provider. That's what I mean when God needs nothing from us, but we need everything from him. All right, so we must know that we also need to be made right with God. Psalms 51.5 says, Behold, I was brought forth in a state of iniquity, and my mother was sinful who has conceived me, and I too am sinful. So I have to know God does not lie. God's created me with a purpose. God himself needs nothing from me to be who he is. And I must also know that I need everything of who he is. I am needing to make my life align with his, not his align with mine. All right. So Isaiah 59, two says, but in your iniquities, they have made a separation between you and your God and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he will not hear. If God's face is hidden from me and my sin is causing that, it's fair to think if this Bible's true, that if I deal with my sin, then his face might turn towards me, right? Romans six twenty three says, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's good news. We must also know and recognize that a great exchange has been made for you and I. The book of Micah, chapter 7, verse 18, and I like the Amplified Classic with some of these verses because it just brings out the juice of the word. It just makes it plain to us. Um, He says, who is a God like you who forgives iniquity and passes over the transgressions of the remnant of his heritage? We are a remnant. There is not a lot of Christians in the world anymore, guys. There isn't. But he that is with us is greater than he that's in this world. They are greater. Yeah. God retains not his anger forever because he delights. He del- I really want you to hear these scriptures this morning. He delights in mercy and in loving kindness. Romans 5, 8 says, but God demonstrates his own love towards us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. How long ago did Jesus die? Were any one of us alive? That's what that word bears. Before I was ever born, Jesus sacrificed his life so that I could live. All right, 1 Corinthians 15, 3 in the Amplified, for I pass unto you, this is Paul, he said, to you, first of all, what I also have received, that Christ, the Messiah, the anointed one that breaks every yoke, he died for our sins in accordance with what the scriptures foretold. God gave his only begotten son as an exchange for you and I. And the scripture, if you were to go back and read in the book of Isaiah chapter 53, you will see that the prophets of old foretold of Jesus's life, his death, his burial, and his resurrection. It says to us that there will come one from the line of Jesse, from the seed of David, that will sit on the throne of God for all eternity, and that in him we will find redemption and forgiveness of our sins. Scripture foretold that before it ever happened. Okay, 2 Corinthians 5 verse 21 says, for our sake he made Christ, this is the Father, virtually to be sin." 
who knew no sin, so that in and through him we might become endued with, viewed as being in and examples of the righteousness of God, that we ought to be approved and acceptable and in right relationship with him by his goodness. Galatians 1.4 teaches us that who gave, yielded himself up, this is our blessed Jesus, to atone for our sins and to save and to sanctify us. It is an ongoing process, but when Christ comes to live in you, he becomes everything that is needed. I am not being made righteous. I am righteous because Christ is in me. I am holy because Christ is in me. And everything I do, I do unto the glory of the Lord, but I do it with thinking of him first. And then I'm able to do because he is, we can be too, right? So that the, in Galatians, it continues to say that Jesus did this to save and sanctify us in order to rescue and deliver us from this present wicked age and world order and according to the will and the purpose and the plan of God, our father. So God had a plan when mankind had fallen that he was going to bring us back to himself. Now, all of this is being said with that first thing that I started with, which is God cannot lie None of this that I read, if we base it on that premise, scripture exaggerates nothing, okay? It exaggerates nothing. So this great exchange has been made, Jesus's life now for my own, all right? Um, do you think that God would have given his only begotten son mindlessly? Do you think God is naive? Do you think God is short-sighted, Right? Romans 5, 6 through 8 in the message, I'll read it real plain. Christ arrives right on time to make this thing happen. He didn't and doesn't wait for us to get ready. He presented himself for this sacrificial death when we were far too weak and rebellious to do anything to get ourselves ready. We weren't even born yet. And even if we hadn't been so weak, we wouldn't have known what to do anyway. So here's the part I want you to think about. We can understand someone dying for a person worth dying for. How many of you in here, you love someone maybe more than life itself? How many? Raise your hands. Some of you all didn't raise your hands. How many of you, let me change it. How many of you would consider giving your life for someone? You just lay it down, take a bullet for him. Yeah, I would too. I've got five people in my life. Well, there's more too, but I would give my life because I've thought about that. Jesus, he gave this precious life of his. The scripture says that we can understand someone dying for a person worth dying for, and we can understand how someone good and noble could inspire us to do a selfless act. But God put his love on the line for us by offering his son. Would somebody want to die for you? If you were con to consider your goodness, and the Bible says not one of us, to say that we are good, that's like almost sin because the Bible says only one is good. Only one is good. Without him, we are nothing. Would someone really want to die for you? If, if you were just plain old you, with all of your bad habits, hangups, and hindrances, would someone be willing to die for you? You don't have to answer that. But think about it, because that's what Jesus did. And why did he do this? Here's the greatest part in this. It's because of God's great love for us. 
So last, the last time that I preached, the Lord showed me something and like I've cried about it ever since. And every time I think about it, I cry, but I won't cry right now. I don't feel those tears at all. And it's in the story in Luke 15 about the prodigal son. So we've all heard this story. You've heard it that God would leave the 99 and go after the one. And this son, he decided that he wanted all of his inheritance. And he said, Father, I want everything that belongs to me. Give it to me, all of it. And he took all of it and he went out, all of his riches, all of his wealth that he had attained from the father. He went out and he spent it on prostitutes, on drunken, lascivious living on things that were just wrong. And then he wasted it all. And when it was all done, he ended up eating like food that pigs were eating, that people were feeding their animals. And then a thought came to him. I think, you know, like, I, I think Josh has said this before, you know, if you're looking for drama, go to the Bible and listen, if it's not a lie, there's no exaggerations when you read this stuff. It's just like, oh my gosh, did they really send out all those mighty men with no like underwears and stuff like chase them back out these you know like when you when you see that this is this is the shame that David and his mighty men face that's not anywhere in my notes but when I see that I'm like they really took these warriors like they stripped them and sent them home shave their beards that was the worst thing that's in the bible so there's no exaggeration I really see these stories so this prodigal son I can see him like with his face down and eating the slop that pigs are eating. And then all of a sudden he looks up and I think in tears in his eyes, he's like, man, even my father's servants, they eat better than this. And with that thought, he said, you know, I'm going to go and I'm going to tell dad that I was sorry if I could just be a hired servant. But then the scripture says in Luke 15, verse 20, so he got up and came to his own father, but while he was still a long way off, a long way off, way off, way past those doors, Father saw him and was moved with pity and tenderness for him. And he ran and embraced him and kissed him, Amplified says, fervently. There is no exaggeration in the Bible. While he was a long way off, who was looking for him to come home? His father. Come on, y'all. And that father ran and grabbed him and could not quit kissing on him and loving him. He didn't even have to say, Father, I'm sorry, I repent. Then he started talking, but the father just kind of turned his back on that and says, you know, go kill the fatted calf and bring the best robe. Guys, God is waiting for us to just make a move. He's just, and when I, when I tell you, you know, someone was saying that, hey, I think I'm going to bow down when I get to heaven. I'm like, mm-mm. I'm just going to run to Father, and he's just going to embrace me, and he's going to do that. See, that's how real my relationship is with him. And because of Christ in me, because I believe whatever the Bible says, because Christ is in me, when Father looks at me, he's just going to see that. He's, he's not going to see dirty old Mira. He'll see what Jesus gave his life for, and he will kiss on me fervently. That's what the word says, Right? So Jeremiah 31, 3 says, the Lord has appeared of old to, to me saying, yes, yes, beloved, I have loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, with loving kindness, I have drawn you. Psalm 139, 15 through 17. This is David, this entire Psalm. We see David is enfolded wrapped up in the care of God. If you go, I mean, these are rich scriptures that I'm giving you to go read and think about 
how God sees you. And David says in these couple of verses here, he says, my frame was not hidden from you, Lord, when I was being formed in, in secret and intricately and curiously wroth as if embroidered with various colors in the depths of the earth, a region of darkness and mystery. Your eyes saw my unformed substance and in your book, in God's book, all, all of the days of my life were written before ever they took shape. When as yet there was not any of them, how precious God and weighty also are your thoughts towards me, O oh God, how vast is the sum of them. God has thoughts about us. That's what the word says. Remember, we all believe that this is what it says. And if we believe what it says, I promise you life is different. And God, it's impossible for God to have a bad thought about you. It is. Lawanda, God cannot think a bad thought towards you because then he would not be good. He just doesn't lie about it. Jeremiah 29, 11 says, for I know the thoughts, put your name in here. For I know the thoughts and plans I have for you, Sam, says the Lord. Thoughts and plans for welfare and peace and not for evil. To give you, Michael, a hope and your final outcome in life. That's when God looks at you, he's got a hope and a final outcome for you. And it doesn't look anything like we think it would look. It's the way he sees it, right? So 1 John 4, 9 through 10 says, in this, the love of God was made manifest. It was displayed where we are concerned and that God sent his son, the only begotten or unique son into this world so that we might live through him. And this is love. In this is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us. And he sent his son to be the propitiation, the atoning sacrifice, blood for blood, right? We have been guilty. If we said we hate our brother or sister, we've been guilty of murder. It is blood for blood. From the Old Testament to the New, where there was sin, an atoning sacrifice had to be made blood, life for life. This is what the propitiation of sin is, the atoning sacrifice, Jesus's blood in exchange for mine, okay, for our sin. So Ephesians 2 says, verses 4 through 6, but God, so rich is he in his mercy because of and in order to satisfy the great and the wonderful and intense love. Remember what I said, there is no exaggeration in scripture. So when I read these words, think about someone saying, I've got intense love for you. Jereen, my love for you, it is intense, girl. That's what he's saying, right? To satisfy the great and wonderful and intense love with which he loved us, even when we were dead, slain by our own shortcomings and trespasses, he made us alive together in fellowship and in union with Jesus, with Christ. He gave us the very life of Christ himself. So I won't read the rest of that, but that's the part that I want you to see is that God gave the very life that Jesus had. He gave it to us. That's great news. Y'all should be singing and dancing over that. There is not enough time in this world. I couldn't live my entire life that God has written down for me before I ever came to exist to tell you how great a love he has for you. The pages that's, that's present to write in, there are not enough words that can describe how great a love the Father has for us. Oh, that we would be called 
his sons and daughters. But you got to believe what this word says. If we as a church were truly to pick up our mantle and believe this word, we would turn the world upside down. I've said it before. We would turn it upside down. But we first must believe that what we have is precious. It's not meant to put under your car seats. It's not meant for you to prop up a door with or bookend. It's not meant to collect dust. It's meant for you to consume it every single day. It is your first priority. It's let me see what my father has to say to me today should be the cry of our hearts, right? We live in lack. And when I say lack, where we are living with a poverty mentality, with sickness, with oppression, depression, anxiety, fear, because we don't know what the word of God has for us. See, I will have trials, right? Pastor's been talking, we've been talking about getting ready for the end times. Getting ready for the end times is just preparing you for eternity. It's preparing you for eternity. It's not like, oh my gosh, hell's coming and let me see what I have to do. No, that's selfish living. But it's saying, I've got to get ready and convince myself that when I get to heaven, see, I told you all what I'm going to do, right? If there's a joke, I wish that I had played it. If you get to heaven and you don't see me there, you are in hell. Because I'm going to heaven. <laughs> right? The guy said in his African accent, he said, listen, let me tell you. If you go to heaven and you do not see me there, you are in hell. <laughs> so I was like, hey. I cannot wait to hold on and hug my father. I cannot. But in order for me to know that he's loving and he has drawn me to himself, I have to know what his word says. If not, I'm going to be afraid to get into his presence. See, Adam and Eve hid because there was sin present. I'm not hiding from God. And we don't want you to hide either, okay? So if we believe that God can never lie, I must believe that the Bible means every single word that it states. There are no exaggerations. He knows every hair on my head. Y'all, he knows them. I can't count the hair on my head. He sings and he dances over me. He draws me to himself with loving kindness. He, Father, is gentle with me. He will fight my every battle. He has set his love upon me and nothing, nothing can ever separate us from the love of God, height nor depth, principalities or power. Nothing will ever separate me and you too, if that's what you choose, from the love of God. He says that he will save me when I call. He said that me and my household will be saved. I'm hanging on to that. I'm hanging on to that, right? He has declared life over me. And he says, I am hidden in him. So when end times come, I'm happening to it because I'm hidden in Christ. And we are, we are living in the most remarkable times ever. This is Bible times, beloved. And we got to get ready because we're going to see him. There is nothing in this world that is more precious than God. We cannot take anything with us into eternity. I cannot, if you are not saved, I can't even count on taking you into heaven with me. You see? So there is nothing, there is no person or no object that should have your affection as much as God. Because you can't take it with you. See? We can. So Hebrews 11 um, 11, 6 in the Amplified. 
But without faith, it is impossible to please and to be satisfactory to God. For whoever would come near to God must necessarily believe that God exists and that he is a rewarder of those who earnestly and diligently seek him. Do you believe the word of God? If you don't believe this precious Bible, I wish I had, like I, I use so many of them. And they're just really big to carry around and I run back and forth. But if I had mine, I'd be swinging. If you don't believe this, you have no reason to live. Reincarnation is just going to bring you back to this hell. This world has not been the very best of world. When children are being slain and slaughtered and trafficked and, and raped over and over and over and over and over again, this is not good. It is not God's best. So why would I want to keep coming back to this? But if I believe the scripture and what it says to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord, come on, then I win. That is my hope, but it comes from knowing the word of God. Okay, so just to recap, it is impossible for God to lie. He gave it all for us by exchanging the life of his only begotten son. That only begotten is soul heir of what God is. It is the exact replication of God himself. God gave his best. Again, would you give your best for someone? Would you give your baby and say, here, take this in place of you even? Would you? But God did, right? He said that we must believe that this exchange was made. And he sees something of great purpose in you or else that exchange would not have been made. God is not short-sighted. He gave something, but he does expect something in return. And it's you and I, okay? Um, God didn't do this because he needed us. It's because we needed to be redeemed and brought back into relationship with him. And he simply did it because he loves you. He loves me. So we do not make God better, but he says that I change you from glory to glory. When he comes, he makes us better. Okay? So knowing that, the premise of where I started, we're going to go to this point. Our response to his love, remember, he expects something. He does. He expects something from us. Remember the story of Abraham and God told him that he was going to um, destroy Gomorrah and, or Sodom and Gomorrah? Who was living in the city that he was going to destroy? Lot. So let me read. So God says in Genesis 18, he says, so hold on to that thought. And the Lord says, shall I hide from Abraham, my friend and servant? So Abraham was friend and servant. What I am going to do, since Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation, and that all the nations of the earth shall be blessed through him and shall be blessed themselves and shall bless themselves by him. For I have known, chosen, and acknowledged him as my own. Through Abraham, we also are heir to the promises, okay? So that we may teach and command his children. Abraham will teach and command his children and the sons of his house after him to keep the way of the Lord and to do what is just and righteous. Remember what I said in Genesis, God made us to have godly offspring. Here we see that promise in Abraham. God's saying it, he's declaring, he declared the end from the beginning. 
so that he may teach and command his children and the sons of his own house after him to keep the way of the Lord and to do what is just and righteous, so that the Lord may bring Abraham what he has promised him. And the Lord said, because the shriek of the sins of Sodom and Gomorrah is greater or is great and their sin is exceedingly grievous, I'll go down now and see whether they have done altogether as vilely and wickedly as the cry of it which has come to me. And if not, I will know. Now the two men turned from, from where the Lord was standing from there and towards Sodom. But Abraham stood there before the Lord. Abraham stood there, right there before the Lord. Abraham came close and said, Will you destroy the righteous, those upright and in right standing with God together with the wicked? So remember I asked you who lived in Sodom and you said Lot. Second Peter 2, 6 through 9 states that Lot, who was Abraham's nephew, was a righteous man. I'm righteous, you're righteous. Can God speak to some of us and not all of us? Can he? Hold on to the thought. But here we have Abraham. God decides, let me tell Abraham, my friend and my servant. Let me tell him what I do. And God entreats Abraham like he makes room for him. And Abraham starts, God, what about 50? Okay, Lord, what about 40, 30, 20? And I have 10 all the way down. And because of Abraham, Lot was saved and his two daughters, three, three people. But Abraham interceded. Why didn't God talk to Lot himself? Why didn't he? Why didn't he go to Lot? Because Lot, the Bible says, was righteous. Why would God speak to some and not to all? So what about Moses? God spoke to Moses, scripture says in Numbers 12, 7 through 8. He says, Moses is entrusted and faithful. But in, in verse 8, he says, with Moses, with him, I speak mouth to mouth directly, clearly, and not in dark speeches, and he beholds the form of the Lord. Why then were you not afraid to speak against my servant Moses? So the people that were speaking against him were his sister and his brother, Miriam and Aaron. They had no fear. So Miriam and Aaron were there because God's talking to them, right? He is, but he, he came. I don't know how he did that with them. But they still didn't get what Moses had. They still didn't get what Moses had. Why would God do that? Joshua was there. Joshua still didn't get what Moses had when Moses was getting. Exodus 33, I'll show you what the scripture says about Moses. Verses 13 through 15. Now, therefore, I pray, if I have found favor, this is Moses, in your sight, show me now your way that I may know you progressively become more deeply and intimately acquainted with you perceiving and recognizing and understand more strongly and clearly. God, I, I, I want to know you. I want to understand you. And that I would find your favor, that I would find favor in your sight, O oh Lord. And Lord, do consider that this nation, this people, Victory Church is your people. And the Lord said, my presence shall go with you and I will give you rest. But that wasn't enough because Moses turns around and he says to the Lord, if your presence does not go with me, do not carry us up from here. Okay, so I want you to see this faithful and entrusted servant, right? This friend and again, servant of God, two different people. God engaged Moses as a friend because Moses said, because if God didn't go with them, 
he wasn't going to go anywhere. He asked that the father would show him his favor, that is, to know him more. And Moses makes the time to intercede for God's people. Remember, God's love for us poured out to us in our salvation. It does require something. It's not something for nothing. Okay, it's free. We didn't have to ask for it. But with it, we have to whom much is given, much is required. A life was given for us. There is much that is required from the body of Christ. There is much. All right, so both Moses and Abraham wanted to be close to God the Father, and both had a heart for people. So my thoughts to this for you and I, will we be righteous sons and daughters that desires to be close to him or children that are easily distracted from the pressures and the things of this world? Will we be like Lot that God is getting ready to, end times is happening, to destroy the cities that we're living with, but he's going to bypass our ears? Will we be like that? Remember, we started God cannot lie. Right? He cannot. So Romans 2, 11, here's a great hope. Great hope for us. For God shows no partiality, undue favor, or unfairness. With him, one man is no different from another. Malachi 3, 6 says, God does not change. He's the same God yesterday, today, and forever. He tells us that if we draw close to him, that he will draw close to us. This means that what he has done for those in the Bible for Abraham, for Moses, for Elijah, for David, for Paul, for Peter, any person that you look to in the Bible for Daniel. Oh my gosh, the Bible says that Satan's wisdom was like Daniel. Do you know how huge that is? You know how huge that is? Because the prince of this world, he is smart. He's not smarter than God. But God compared, because he uses trickery and schemes, but God compared Daniel's wisdom to that of one that has fallen from the presence of God. That's a man. Daniel's a man, right? We are humans too. If God could have spoken like that to someone in the Bible, could he not, could we not expect him to do the same? Would he destroy the city and bypass us? He can. Will he? He could. Does he want to? Does he want to tell you the way that you should go? The book of Amos teaches us that God will whisper behind your ear which way you should go. But you got to believe that it's in the Bible. It's just like this morning what I was hearing. I tell you, it comes like sometimes one word, a whole phrase as a vision, as a word of knowledge or a word of prophecy. It will come, but I'm expecting it to come. I, I expect God to act on his word in my life because it is the highest priority in my life. All right, so our response to his love should be, there's a few things I have here. Obedience is number one. First John 5, 3 says, for this is the love of God that we keep his commandments and his commandments are not burdensome. Oh Lord, I really can't do that because it's gonna cost me this relationship. No, God has made the marriage bed to be undefiled. And if we're living in sin without being married, we're defiling the bed right? So that relationship, it's, it's not worth, it's not burdensome, okay? Because if you have to cut something off here, guess what? On the other side, you're getting eternity. Eternity far outweighs a momentary pleasure. 
that we have here in this flesh. Isaiah 119 says, if you are willing and obedient, you shall eat the good of the land. Don't take your chances. Tomorrow is not promised. But if I'm willing and obedient, guess what? I have a good life. That's what the word says. So when life is not going good and I'm living and I'm being obedient, you know what I say? I'm like, Lord, I'm living in your word. What's up with that? Show me. Where have I allowed the enemy to come in? And I'll tell him, I always tell him myself, I'll tell him myself here in a little bit. Luke 6, 46, Jesus says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? That's huge. Lord, do I really call you Lord, Lord, and I'm walking in sin? And sin can be me overeating, me not stewarding and taking care of the temple of the Holy Spirit that's inside of me. And he's dealing with some things like that right now, right? It can be gossiping. It can be lust. Sin is sin. The Bible has much to say about what sin is. And we should know what it is so we can avoid it. We can. All right? So we're called to obey the word of God, period. There is not, there should not be a question, should I really listen to what it says? No, not if you believe it. So loyalty, God has, he wants us to be loyal to his vision. John 30 or 5 verse 30. I am able to do nothing. This is Christ speaking. He said, I'm able to do nothing for myself independently of my own accord, but only as I'm taught by God and that, and as I get his orders, even as I hear, I judge and I decide. So Jesus is telling us while he was in the flesh, he was deciding and making a decision. I'm going to go with that, right? I decide as I am bidden to decide. As a voice comes to me, so I give a decision and my judgment is right. It's just, it's righteous because I do not seek or consult my own will. I have no desire to do what is pleasing to my own self, my own aim or my own purpose, but only the will and the pleasure of the father who has sent me. We want to be obedient. Our response to the love of God is obedience, loyalty to his vision, right? And we want to fulfill whatever the Father has placed us here to do. That, that's our high call. The Son of Man has come to seek and to save that, that which was lost. That's what Luke 19 verse 10 says. And Jesus says, just as I am in this world, just as I was, because he's not here right now, we get an opportunity to be. Okay, so we want obedience, we want loyalty, but we also want a heart for others to come to God. Remember the story of Abraham and Moses. Why God talked to them that way? Because they, they considered, the Bible says that you, beloved, and me, we are a royal priesthood, a chosen generation. A priesthood is always someone who is set apart and sanctified to make intercession for someone. We don't live for ourselves, but we live for the betterment of others. And if it's just me and, and my three or me and my family that I'm living for, I'm not, I'm not living for Jesus. I'm not. Jesus, in his own walk, showed us that even the people that he lived with, they were not saved. They were trying to get him arrested. They were trying to turn him in. That was his, his own house. They got after he died and resurrected was when they believed. So sometimes we have to take ourselves outside of the people we love the most and go minister to the ones that are hungry. There is nothing wrong with that, beloved. Christ did it all the time. Right? So we want a heart that encourages others to come to God. And I've listed um, some scriptures. I'll read some highlights from this scripture. 2 Corinthians 8, it's 16 through 21. 
Um, it's in the J.B. New Phillips Testament. So this means that our knowledge of men can no longer be based on their outward lives. Indeed, even though we knew Christ as a man, we do not know him like this any longer. For if a man is in Christ, he becomes a new person altogether. The past is finished and gone and everything has become fresh and new. All this is God's doing for he has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and this reconciliation, guess what it did for us? He has made us agents of reconciliation. God was in Christ personally reconciling the world to himself, not counting their sins against them, and has commissioned us, you and I, with this message of reconciliation. We are now Christ, his ambassadors, as though God were appealing directly to you through us. As his personal representatives, we say, make your peace with God. That is our call. We've got to get others to make their peace with God and do whatever it takes. Don't wait for a church service right there. Can I help you to get to know Jesus? Do you know that God laid down his life for you? Do you know that God has a plan for you? Do you know that there is more to life than this? We are the ones that brings hope to the lost and healing to those that are needing it. It's our hands and our feet, right? So we want to also have a life lived for, lived for Jesus. Second Corinthians says, for the love of Christ, it controls, it urges, it impels us because we are of the opinion and conviction that one died for all, then all died. Remember, I started that verse at the very beginning. And he died for all so that all those who live might no longer live to and for themselves, but to and for him who has died and was raised again for their sake. This verse is being said, and in and, and I think the King James Version, it says that the love of God constrains us. So this version says it controls us. Constrain means that it holds me together, that I cannot escape, just like what David was saying in Psalms 139, that's where that comes from, that God has encompassed him all around. There is nothing that you can do to escape God. And what I'm saying to you is that there is no exaggeration in that. There is no lie in that, that the Lord has you right here. He says that every tear you cry, he holds them. There's no exaggeration in that. Sometimes I have felt his fierce anger um, for people who've hurt me. And I've had to say, back up, Lord. I actually said that I felt him come into the room like I'm going to defend you because I believe that he is my defender. And the Bible says that he contends with those who contends against us. I don't have to contend for myself. I say, Lord, you reward them accordingly. And he always does. He just does. It's not that I'm looking for bad to happen. I just know, back up, Jack, you're messing with the wrong person. I belong to somebody, and he has me hidden in him, right? And, and we, we want to constantly be aware of ourselves before the Lord. So it's telling us that we are held together in Christ as one with him. Jesus says, oh, Father, I wish that they would know your love just like I, I know you. God, that you would be in them just as you are in me. And Lord, that you would love them. This is what Jesus wanted for us. Remember, I said that our purpose, too, is to get people there, that we want them to know that God loves them. So if we live, we live to the Lord, Romans 14, 8 says. And if we die, we die to the Lord. So then whether we live or we die, we belong to the Lord. All right. 
So a recap of this, this sermon, this message that I've um, shared with you today. It is impossible for the Lord to lie. He gave it all for us by exchanging the life of his only begotten son, a sole replica of himself, to take away your sins and my sin. And we must believe that this exchange was because he saw something in us that had great purpose, that he is perfect and self-sufficient. His saving us wasn't because he needed us. It was simply because he loves us. I want you to say this, God loves me. One, two, three. And I want you to believe that, beloved. He loves you. And we do not make God better, but he allows us to be changed from glory to glory. In response to this love, we want to live a life of obedience to the Lord, to the word of God. We want to be loyal to his vision. We want to bring others to him. And we simply aim our lives to live our lives for him. And what is important to God becomes our highest priority. It's always people. What is important to the Lord becomes our highest priority, right? So I have, um, I've got three things here. How are we doing knowing that God has given his life for us? Are we showing the same love and mercy and compassion to others? Are we living in this world with eternity in our hearts? And are we consistently and constantly looking for ways to bring others into the kingdom? See, I told you I'd tell on myself. Do we have that handout? Yeah. Can you pass me that? I'm going to read something. Um, a couple weeks ago, like I got, listen, I got in my flesh. Are we flesh or are we spirit? We're spiritual beings because we live with the kingdom of God on the inside. So in my flesh, my husband is, he's, listen, he's really funny and his family, they laugh. I've learned to laugh from him. I always tell him I'm expressing my laughter on the inside. Okay. So Shane is just laughing and he's just, you know, whatever. And he's real sweet. And then I decided to be all stink and I got in my flesh and I was being all mad and I left and I drove off and I went to where I was going. But then I started reading the word. And I'm going to read this word the way that I read it to myself. I told you I'd read a lot of scriptures to you today because I want you to remember the word, not me. At the end of the day, if I don't present Christ, I have presented nothing to you. See, because I can justify you and I, we can justify our flesh all day long. We can. And I can be justified to be mad at you. If you've cut me off on the road like I'm being and my kids are in that car and I had to screech and haul on my brakes because I thought I was going to hit you. I'd be really mad at you. And I could want to do something and show something. But let me tell you, that's my flesh. What I just read to you in Romans, we live, we live to the Lord. And we are now in him. My life doesn't belong to me. It belongs to him. I have no rights. It's like I'm a doormat for Jesus. I'm telling you. Now, don't mistreat each other. The Bible says we have dominion over animals, but not people. It doesn't mean that we as believers should mistreat each other. Because if you mistreated me, I'd say, you know what? Please don't talk to me like that. My team knows that. My children knows that. Please don't talk to me like that. You can find better ways to express yourself. But it was me that I was being upset. But then I started reading this word, and I remember. Let, it's from 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 7. If you want a copy of this, I've given it a lot to people who've come into my office. 
you know, that are struggling with some things. And I, and I read it. I read it to myself. But the word brings conviction. Let me describe God in Mira. God in Mira is slow to lose patience. God in Mira stays in difficult relationships with kindness. And God in Mira always looks for ways to be constructive. There is no envy in God in Mira. And God in Mira is never possessive and never boils over with jealousy. God in Mira makes no parade of herself. God in Mira never boasts, nor does God in Mira puff up with pride. God in Mira is never arrogant and never puts herself on display because God in Mira is neither anxious to impress nor does God in Mira cherish inflated ideas of herself, of her own importance. God in Mira never gets irritated and never gets resentful. God in Mira holds no grudges and God in Mira keeps no record of the evil done to herself. God in Mira is, it refuses to be provoked and never harbors evil thoughts. God in Mira is not rude or grasping or overly sensitive, nor does God in Mira search for imperfections and faults in others. God in Mira does not compile statistics of evil or gloat over the wickedness of others' people. On the contrary, God in Mira is glad with all good men when truth prevails. God in Mira celebrates what is real and not what is perverse or what is incomplete. God in Mira never does the grace less thing. God in Mira has good manners and does not pursue selfish advantages. God in Mira never insists on her own rights, never irritably loses her temper and never nurses her wrath to keep it warm. God and Mira is not touchy. God and Mira can stand under any kind of treatment because there's no limits to her endurance. There is no end to her trust. God and Mira bears up under anything. God and Mira perseveres in all circumstances. God in Mira's first instinct is to believe in people. If God in Mira loves someone, God in Mira will be loyal to them no matter what the cost. God in Mira will always believe in them, always expect the best in them, and always stand her ground in defending them. God in Mira never regards anyone or anything as hopeless. God in Mira keeps up hope in everything. God in Mira never fades. God's love in Mira, it never fades. God in Mira keeps going on. God in Mira trusts God's word in every situation and expects God to act in all of her circumstances, right? God in Mira goes on forever and nothing 
can destroy God and Mira. Nothing, nothing can happen that can break the spirit of God and Mira. In fact, God and Mira is the one thing that still stands when all else has fallen. The word of God is his love letter to each of us who have said, I accept Jesus. You see, you can have that same thing going on the inside of you. My heart was so convicted and I was just being real silly with my husband and I had to call him and I said, I love you. I just love you. And he was smiling. I said, you're smiling because I'm tasting some of my medicine because, yeah. He's like, I love you too. And what I realized is that I don't have a lot of time. I just know that I don't have a lot of time. So it is not worth being rude and hurtful to each other. It just isn't. We have to aggress this kingdom of God. We live on the offense, not the defense. Because God is in you, you will never fail.